What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording this live on Wednesday morning, November 16th, the morning after the Grizzlies lost to the New Orleans Pelicans. Great news. Jaron Jackson Jr. is back. Bad news. Desmond Baines now out. And we'll be going into that with a very important guest. But before I introduce him, let me tell you how you can keep in touch with the blog and with the podcast network. So Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog on SB Nation covering the Memphis Grizzlies. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And GBB Live is the flagship podcast for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside the Next Gen Podcasts, Core 4 Podcasts, Starting 5 Podcasts, and Grizzly Bear Bets. So wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, you can find the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network there, so don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. So, once again, I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is a NBA writer for so many by- bylines that I can hardly keep up, but he's also doing great work over at the mothership of SB Nation covering the NBA. It's Matt Issa. Matt, how's it going, man? Parker, man, it's it's been a little bit of time. Um, I know some things we were just talking about it beforehand. Some things in your life have changed, both in your personal life and your professional life. So, congrats on that, my friend. Thank you. And uh, just for my listeners, I get married as of recording in twenty four days, and then I also took on a editing role with Silver Screen and Roll, the Lakers, SB Nation side. Don't worry, I'm not leaving. This isn't gonna affect anything with Grizzly Bear Blues. I'm not going to become a Laker fan all of a sudden. I, I'm just doing what I can to help out uh, for the greater good of the website. So, yeah, I'm very pumped about that. And, you know, I had had – I reached out to Matt last week after he wrote this really splendid uh, article on Desmond Bain, breaking down just how he's just taken this magnificent step as a creator and a score. And then he gets hurt. He's out for two to three weeks with a toe sprain. So, Matt, I'll let I'll let you do some plugging in here, but in the and but the different kind of spin that we hoped for. What are the Grizzlies losing with Desmond Bain? So, okay, I think about Bain. So last year, and I know he's not like a a popular guy among diehard Grizzlies fans, at least the ones I know at least Justin, but Dylan Brooks was kind of when Ja couldn't uh, or just, you know, wasn't on the floor to, you know, create a dent in the defense to kind of get the possession rolling. Dylan Brooks was kind of the guy who was willing to do that and he was willing to take these tougher pull-up shots. I say willing, but he, he kind of wanted to do it. It wasn't like he yeah. was like forced upon him. But um, this year, Baines kind of taken on that role. It started obviously Brooks was out a little bit to start the season. So Bain kind of fell into that role, a little bit more ball handling responsibility. You could see it right away from that first game against the Knicks. So they're basically losing that guy. And the thing about the way Bain did it in comparison to Brooks is he was really efficient in that role. He's a very efficient efficient scorer as kind of their secondary creator. So they're basically losing what I deem to be their second best offensive play right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely going to be a challenge. I know I'm writing about it for uh the blog tomorrow as of recording. But one thing that's just so tough with this loss is 
Desmond Bain had already taken such a tremendous leap, and now it's like you're losing you're losing that, and a lot of the half court creation and the leaps that they've made this season were because of Desmond Bain's improvements. You know, a lot of the half court offense can get pretty one dimensional with John Morant, especially when it comes to pick and roll downhill attack. Adding somebody of Desmond Bain's shooting caliber and now factoring in some on on ball creation juice, it has opened up so many more dynamics for the Memphis Grizzlies. And what it's just going to be very challenging because for one, Bain took so much pressure off John Morant, and there's not a lot of juice on the roster to take pressure off John Morant. And the big thing is three-point shooting. Again, the Grizzlies are improving as a three-point shooting team in large part because of Bain. He arguably, I don't think you can name any other player other than Steph Curry that's a better shooter right now than Desmond Bain. Um, it comes to volume I think, and accuracy. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I'm there with you. I'm trying to... I, I know, to I know Kevin... I know Kevin Herter's doing something stupid right now, like at shooting 52% from three on seven attempts per game. But just the track record that Desmond Bain has shown since he got in the league, I mean, he shot at least 43% from three in each of his past three seasons, shooting 45% on eight and a half attempts. That's a lot of offense you're losing. That That is a ton of offense that you're losing, and I know we're going to dive into how they can go about fixing that. But first, I got to say, Probably the part you don't really want to think about right now with the player being hurt. But given Desmond Bain's performance so far this season, this potential timeline, and also just how freaking loaded the Western Conference is with good guards, does this very much, I don't want to say totally just takes it out, but does this significantly diminish Desmond Bain's chances of being an all-star for the very first time this season? Yeah, so... In the end of my article, I kind of hinted at like if you if you put up the kind of numbers that Bain was putting up at the time I wrote the article, which is like mid twenty points per game on like plus seven plus eight efficiency with like I mean he's like a he's got a high high motor and he's just like really strong, hence the biceps. Um, oh yeah, so he's like a passive, he's like above average defender at his position. But if you have that kind of profile, you usually end up being like an all star. Well. I don't know. It's weird because like voters, the voters that get votes nowadays are like, they're like kind of weird about when they want to make the games miss thing count. Like, I feel like they're more apt to use that against like somebody who might be a first time candidate as opposed to like somebody who's kind of been grandfathered in to the all star, you know, games or whatever. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it might it might be tricky. I haven't really. People have been talking about. I've heard a lot of different names like floated out there as like potential first time all stars, and it's it's tricky with um, the sample size right now. But um, I don't know. I guess it just really depends uh, how many games he misses if he can keep that. I think the efficiency thing is the big key. The efficiency volume thing he's got going. So I'm not I'm not 100 percent ready to rule it out yet. Yeah, I'm not ready to ru- uh, rule it out yet. Obviously, you know, I look at. Guys like Ja, Luca, Curry, Booker, and those are just like your first four. Mm-hmm. That doesn't even include like Shea Gilgis Alexander, De'Aaron Fox, Damian Lillard, guys like that. So, I mean, granted, this is a whole, a whole other discussion for another podcast, but we as a society have evolved past the point of 
having only 12 guys named to the all-star team. The league's too good. We were having 12 all-stars back when there was like, what, eight, 10 teams out there? Yeah, that, so. that has always been a weird thing to me. And then nobody ever like, uh, um, nobody ever like uh, adjusts for like all-star teams made per era, like based on the number of potential. I've never seen any studies like that. And it's weird because we use like all-star, like, oh, this guy had 10 all-stars, but this guy had a, you know, we use that kind of stuff to compare players historically, but we never make that adjustment. So that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. Anyways, but probably just getting back to filling in investment banks absence. I think the biggest one will be Jaron Jackson Jr. And it's just, it, his return comes at a great time because Desmond Bain is now out, but it also comes at a bad time or uneasy time perhaps for Jaron because now he has to get back into his offensive flow a little quicker or else the offense, aside from John Rand, it just might crumble. Um, or so, Dylan Brooks. Or Dylan or Brooks. Dale, hey, the- I'm always here for that. I, I'm here for some Dylan Cooks offense. But, no, I do want to get into a little bit to Jaron Jackson Jr.'s return. Um, Matt, I know you cover a whole lot of NBA games, doing the NBA at large. Did, have you gotten a chance to watch the Grizzlies game last night? I did. I watched it at – 6 a.m. Uh, Eastern time this Man. morning. I did watch it. So I maybe I was like seeing things, but I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of went down. Man, I'm, I'll tell you what. Shout out to you for the hustle. That That is some grade A hustle right there. But so Jaron Jackson, 3 of 14 from the field, 0 of 7 from 3. Uh, two of his uh, field goals did come off of putbacks. So just what did you see uh, from Jaron Jackson Jr. offensively? Is it just one of those like, okay, got to get his legs under him. The, the looks were good. They just weren't falling. Is there anything that you kind of found encouraging through his offensive performance? I was more encouraged by the defense. Um, I really liked some of his rotations at the low man and the rim protection and all that stuff. But offensively, I think a lot of it was rust. I think a really good sign. Out, this is kind of stuck in my head, but um, I think it was Kevin Harlan. He, when J- uh, Jaron had one of those putbacks, he was like, uh, Jackson, like parachuting, uh, yeah, for through the lane, something like that. He said something about parachuting. It was like a putback slam. It was big dunk. Oh, I'm yeah. Like, okay, good. So Jaron's got like he's still got the bounce and stuff, which is was really pleasant. Um, I have one. I have a question for you. Yeah. And this is something that's really important for me as I evaluate his offense. But like, are you? Because I mean, last season was a down shooting year. He does have good shooting indicators. Are you worried at all about his jumper? The only thing that, that I worry about it, and the thing is I'm I'm trying to gauge just how long I can hold on to his pre-knee injury shooting percentages because, like, he was damn near historic in his sophomore season. He was shooting – I'm going to round up to 40% because it's 39.6% on six attempts per game, and literally the only players who had shot at least 40% from three on six-plus attempts – while being seven feet or taller. I think it was Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Vucevic, Lori Markinen, and maybe like that first Brooke Lopez year where he just all of a like sudden Muscala. became a three. I, I don't I can't remember if Muscala was that. I think Muscala maybe, but also I think he's listed as like six ten, six eleven. But like I try to hold on to that. And I think the one thing where I'm encouraged by it and I'm not swayed because of the sample size we've had before. I would say the only thing that kind of makes me 
uneasy a little bit about if he can get back on track and being that kind of guy. His shooting mechanics are so inconsistent. You know, he doesn't have a consistent base. Uh, he kind of has a little bit of a push shot. Granted, I don't like being a shot doctor for NBA players because I'm not, I, I don't play that caliber of basketball. But if you could probably pinpoint anything that kind of makes you skeptical of him returning at being some sort of legitimate three-point weapon, it has to do with the inconsistency in his shooting mechanics. Yeah, because so the reason I ask about the shooting is because, and I know this doesn't really solve the um, the creation void that's now been left with Desmond Bain's absence, but I really like, and they did this last year a good bit, but I really like the idea of them using him kind of the way the Wizards use KP, you know, have him like as like a, a like a Dirk Nowinski type coming off of pin downs, coming off like Iverson cuts, um, using him like to finish that way. So using him like a supersized guard on offense, I, I kind of like that idea. And of course, a big, a big part of that is, you know, he's got to be able to convert on those shots. But again, like I'm like, you know, he's got like good free throw shooting numbers. He finishes, he has like some soft touch in the little floater area. So like, I feel like he's still there. Um, It's just like one of those years where it's just, uh, you know, variance and stuff. So that's my thing with Jaron offensively. Yeah, I mean, I, I bought if he could just get back to thirty-five to thirty-six percent on pretty solid volume, mm-hmm. while also, I think the big thing that I know a lot more people are skeptical about it's not necessarily the, it's not necessarily the three-point shooting. It's his two-point percentage, because it, it's just not ideal for a seven-footer, and he doesn't. T- it's not like one of those things where he takes a lot of mid-range shots because, like, I know like. From a Grizzly standpoint, Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph were never really the most efficient players because they took a high volume of mid-range shots. He take, he's taking a lot of shots at the paint. So how can you get J- Jaron Jackson Jr. to be more effective in the paint? And I feel like you you had answered my question, another question I was going to ask you about how to get Jaron Jackson going more um, offensively. And I, I want to get your input on this, but I think Using him like a guard, like you said, but also take advantage of the versatility that you have in your front court. You know, I know um, Chip Williams, guys, used to be a GBBer and he covers the NBA draft and the Grizzlies on his Twitter account. But he was talking about how they had Santi Altama as the four spacer and put Jaron Jackson Jr. in the dunker spot. Um, I would like to see them run a little bit of some uh, DHO stuff with him and Clark maybe run some horn sets with them to get them going Um, out of Jaron Jackson Jr. Doesn't pass the ball a lot, but aside from Desmond Bain, the only player he generated more assists with per PBB stats is Brandon Clark about 15 assists. A lot of those just, you know, alley oops to Clark off the roll, get him going in that way. Maybe invert that a little bit here and there run some DHO stuff with, him and Steven Adams. Steven Adams is a very good screener. He generates a lot of space in that regard. I know Jaron Jackson Jr. isn't a guard and his drives can be a little awkward, but it's just a, something to try. I don't, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you're there. Um, so the thing with Adams being on the floor, we, you know, we love Adams. I know you were talking about it with Kyle. I always mess up his last name, Kyle Thige, Kyle Thige. Yep. I, I can mm-hmm. never get the last name. Yeah. But um, 
I know you guys were talking about like, you know, the net rating last year when they were both healthy, it was kind of ridiculous on defense, but I do worry a bit that they have like a little bit of the same problems that we're seeing with cat and Gobert right now, where offensively it's a little bit easier to pack the paint against those two. And maybe that's why um, Jackson's rim finishing is a little bit odd because it's like so cluttered down there. Uh, I do like what you said, you know, with the, the idea of maybe using uh Santi, space the floor, kind of get Jaron and Dunker spot, make it a little bit harder on the defense to to go all sink and recover on them. So, um, yeah, so pretty much there with you. Yeah, and I, I do want to get to some of the uh, the other guys in this for filling in for uh, Jaron Jack or filling in for Desmond Bain because filling in for a guy like Desmond Bain, you don't do it with one player. It's all going to be in the aggregate. Mm-hmm. You got to have – Different players chip in in different ways. I know we talked about Dylan Brooks with this. I know people, you know, they tend to roll their eyes at the thought of Dylan Brooks handling more creation. But here's the thing. It's the way the roster's constructed. He's the next guy to do that. So, and this is kind of this conundrum with Brooks, is that, you know, he's a solid three-point shooter. Uh, I want to say he's shooting at least league average this year. Last time I checked, mm-hmm. it was 39%, but I think it went down a little bit after he shot like two of seven or two of nine last night. But just how does he need to adjust his shot portfolio? Like, because obviously he's not the shooter that Desmond Bain is to be firing nine or 10 threes a game. And he kind of has that comfort in the, uh, in the mid range. So should they look to, do a lot of that mid like mid-range kind of stuff, get him going at the elbows with some two-man game with Steven Adams. Does he just keep letting it fly from three? What what do you see as the best way to kind of get Dylan Brooks going to where he's not doing his uh villain Brooks impersonation? He's on his, you know, he's methodically getting to his spots. He's firing more catch and shoot threes instead of pull-up threes. How do you best see that usage for Dylan Brooks in this time without Desmond Bain? Okay, so see, my thing is, like, this is not the time to, like, you know, tame Brooks. Like, one thing that's weird to me, um, you know, please correct me if I'm overstepping here because I'm not a Memphis citizen. I'm not, like, you know, I'm a fan of the team from afar, but not, like, in the way you are or my friends who cover the team are, but, like, What's the thing with like people disliking Brooks? Because I feel like he embodies everything that the, the city's all about. It's, like I feel like it's the shot selection. That's so, really so here's it. My thing, here's my thing with the shot selection, though. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to read Mike Prada's new book yet. It's incredible. Everyone should read it. Masterpiece. But he has a chapter talking about um how like three point percentage is kind of not a myth, but like. It's not really as important as what you make the defense think you can do. He talks about Marcus Smart um, and his willingness to kind of just let it fly, his fearlessness, his ability to make you think he's a better shooter than he is. And I, I see a lot of that with Dylan Brooks, yep. where this guy is like so absurdly confident. I mean, a lot of us should, should like would agree that you know he probably shouldn't be that confident, but um, mm-hmm. he's so absurdly confident in his abilities as a shooter that – it does make defenses think like, you know, there is no human calculators on the court. You know, you're going to like, if you see a guy who's willing to pull the trigger at like any instant, like you're going to close out on him, regardless if he's a 32% shooter or 31% shooter. You know what I mean? So yeah. 
I kind of like the idea of Brooks, you know, just being the Brooks from last season for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, kind of then we start to talk about how do you how do you help him pick his spots when Bain comes back? But I think right now you need you kind of need old Brooks. I love it. I love it, Matt. And I, I am not cutting this out for anyone to miss. I, I'm here for it because, you know, at the end of the day. The Grizzlies, they don't have shot creation outside of John and Bain at the moment, especially too. Like what a what a awful time for Zaire Williams to be hurt too, because this would be like perfect time to get him some reps. Major rep time right here. You gotta have shot creation somewhere, or your offense is gonna get stagnant. If you have to deal with contested twos or contested threes from Dylan Brooks' crazy drives, that's just kind of what what you have to do right now. I mean, he's shown he. He can get to his spots. He has we, – we talk about this uh, in media sometimes where, you know, is Dylan Brooks a tough shot maker or a tough shot taker? And it's kind of the blend of that. You know, he, he does take a lot of tough shots, probably shots he can probably avoid. But, I mean, he does show the capability here and there to make them, and he also shows the capability of um, getting hot here and there. So – yeah, and also too, I find it so confounding. Like you know, you would ask, I don't want to get too off the rails here, but you you ask like, what's everyone's deal with Dylan Brooks? It's one thing if the Grizzlies were routinely bad when he played, but you can see where the Grizzlies have clearly kept him because they're always really good when he plays. He's led the team in on off rating for the past because, three years. That's because. He makes defenses think. This is the phenomenon we're talking about. He he is such he's so confident that he fools the defense into thinking he's better than he is. And like we said, like somebody any offense, there's like X amount of tough shots that need to be taken. Okay. And like Brooks is a below average tough shot maker, like in comparison to all the tough shot makers in the league. But he's like better than everyone else on the roster other than Morant and Bain. Like, who else are you gonna have taking those shots? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. I I agree, and it's going to be very interesting to see, I guess, what kind of Dylan Brooks we get here because at this point right now, if Jaron Jackson Jr. had been playing since the start of the season, I would say, like, oh, yeah, pecking order, it's like Ja, Jaron, Dylan. Right now, Dylan has, has to be your number two as Jaron Jackson gets back into the rhythm and flow of the offense and all that. But uh, I know this isn't necessarily like the question of the day format, but I feel like we just kind of answered these questions throughout the show. But I just want to ask you, just before we close here, about the other guys in this mix. Well, we can each give one, but but who who is one? Uh, I guess Dylan Brooks is technically a role player. I, I would say like secondary role players. Who's someone that you're wa- watching for to kind of make an impact in this stretch without Bane? It could be one of those things as someone who should be making an impact, and I think I kind of know we're going to get out here. Or someone who you think will step up and rise up to that moment. So, I mean, when I was watching this morning, again, I, I said I might have been seeing things because I'm like midway through the third quarter and I don't see LaRavia on the floor at all. Midway. And I, I look at, I, you know, I do a quick Google search. And I'm like, you know, I haven't watched a Grizzlies game in like a week. Maybe I just missed something. I'm not like I'm not covering the team. You know, sometimes I just I miss stuff. I'm, I'm wrong about stuff. That's what happens when you're covering the league at large. Google search guys perfectly healthy and I'm just thinking to myself I'm like why in the world is Jake LaRavia not playing basketball right now like I don't know man I maybe I have a thing for those guys who are 
always in the right place in the right time. But I just love his game at such a young age. Like he's a rookie. doesn't feel like it at all. You know, who he reminds me of a ton. He reminds me of uh, like a larger, more athletic Austin Reeves. And I mean that like as a, as a compliment because Austin Reeves like does nice things on a basketball court. It's unfortunate that he plays on the LA Lakers, but he does nice things on a basketball <laughs> court. So it just like it flabbergasts me that he did not play last night, especially with the void that you are missing with Bain in terms of three-point shooting. Yeah, it, it, I was kind of confounded by that too. And, you know, like they're rookies. I don't, I don't like – dunking on rookies too much not dunking on like bagging on them too much especially this early in the season but like especially the alternative is they're playing david roddy who like you know david roddy he showed some really nice stuff here and there his three-point shot is inconsistent but i mean he's shown the like you said the willingness to let it fly but also i, f- I feel like he's done a- very well attacking closeouts and just making stuff happen off of advantage creation but at the same time, there's just I to my friends I call it Roddy runs. There's just been these Roddy runs where he'll come in, and the team just goes on a run. Like last night, mm-hmm. he played 14 minutes was a minus 16, and mainly playing those minutes at the start of the second quarter, start of the fourth quarter when New Orleans was getting on their runs. Um, it's just because you know one thing I see is when his shot's not on, he doesn't have. He has good size, but he doesn't have great height and explosiveness finishing at the rim, so he can't finish above or generate a whole lot of separation uh, without attacking a closeout at this stage of his career right now. Um, and I think at this moment right now, you you need shooting, losing your best three-point shooter, probably a top three shooter in the NBA right now. And, and granted, there is – you know, Laravia is not the perfect player. Um, you know, there there is sometimes some hesitancy with um, letting it fly. And I know over the past couple games, he's been in a little bit of a shooting slump. Uh, I want to say he has shot O of seven, yeah, O of seven in his past three games. Some of his misses are kind of bad, but it's one of those things that his shot it's really nice, but it's so rainbowy that sometimes it just doesn't have enough air and but i just think at this stage right now you don't have many three-point weapons and i say why why bench your next best shooter when your best shooter's out so i i'm kind of with you there and i i don't i i don't know how they could deploy because also too you're you don't have a lot of creation off the bench so but i'm kind of with you there it 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 has to be on one of the rookies. I'm not gonna just sit like go out and say, "Oh yeah, it's on Laravia," because Roddy has shown he can hit outside shots. He can do some stuff off the dribble that, you know, the Grizzlies are just trying to mold him into what they want him to be at this stage, and they want to give him those reps to do so. But I'm with you, for sure. Two two rapid fire questions I have for you as a Grizzlies guy. I need to know before before we get going because I know you're on a time crutch. Am I off base? First question, am I off base for saying Laravia has been better than Roddy this year? And two, do, do no. you think the Morant, uh, the Morant three-point shooting holds? Is that a real thing? Ooh, I here's my for first question. Yes, I, I think Laravia has been better just because he's shown the ability. I think one thing that really stands out, and it's 
he he does get some stocks here and there, but I'm very impressed with Laravia's team defense for not being this like overwhelming athletic or measurements guy. He's just really good at using his size and not really biting on a whole lot of stuff. Like he had some some really solid uh, defensive possessions in that Boston game last week against Malcolm Brogdon and Jason Tatum. Even though you know with Jason Tatum, he's Jason Tatum. He's going to get a shot no matter what. With Morant, forty percent on five threes a game. I'll hold on it because even if it trends down to, let's say thirty-seven percent on that sort of volume, it's one of the more deadly pick your poison scenarios in the league because it's go under a screen, he'll shoot a three, and he just might make it. 40% of the time, go over the screen, he's getting to the rim. Have fun. So that's a, that. That's my answer to the rapid-fire questions. Okay, th- thank you for that. Thank you for indulging me. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Matt, I just want to, just to close the show, I'll, I'll ask you this, just how, how overall, you know, we've talked about the different components of it, whether it's Jaron, Dylan, the rookies, just how do the Grizzlies go about making up for Desmond Bain's absence here in the aggregate over the next couple weeks? The one thing we haven't talked about yet, um, and I think it's kind of the the overarching cloud storm hanging over this Grizzlies team this season, despite all the positivity with all the injuries they've had and how well they've been through all those injuries, is the defense. I think that's really where you've got to make up ground. Um, you know, I said Bain is like a solid above average guard defender, but um, now you have the opportunity to kind of play these more defensively slanted lineups and then ha- kind of just rely on Brooks and Morant to buoy the offense. Morant, you know, we haven't, we haven't given him, I feel like enough praise, but this guy's, you know, he's pretty much, if not already, he's the top, like to me, he's a top 10 offensive player in the world. So yeah. he can like he could buoy an offense for a couple of weeks for sure. And then I think it's about it's about our guy Jaron, you know, getting back, getting his sea legs under him, going back to being one of the best defenders the league has. You know, Adams, I know you you wrote about him, right? A couple of weeks ago. I wrote about him last and week it, with his rim protection. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I thought it was you I read. I, I, sometimes my mind uh my hey, mind, you got a uh, whole lot of stuff me. you gotta read and catch up on. I get it, dude. It's, I just appreciate it's, it's tough. Checking it out, but, giving me feedback. So, but um, so you yeah you have Adams is like old man rim protection. You you have Clark who's been really good this year in my eye. Um, Santi has been you know by the uh by the drip metric. The, I mean the delta metric. Oh, one yeah. of the most improved players this year. So I think it's going to be about the defense. I think that's the biggest way to to kind of shore up what you're missing from Bain for the next couple of weeks in the aggregate, which is, by the way, a legal term for my friends out there. There we go. Yeah, you know, you read my mind on that one, to be honest. Uh, Something I want to get into is the defense part of it, because the Grizzlies, when John Morant was out, they didn't make up for it in the aggregate with their offense. Granted, you know, Desmond Bain took another step, and then you had Dylan Brooks come back at that point last year as well. And also, too, it's so beneficial when you have probably the best back- backup point guard in the game with Tyus Jones. I mean, I guess Russell Westbrook now is challenging for that because he's technically a backup now. But, like, uh, Tyus Jones, very steady backup point guard. But they got through with their defense. I, I want to say they searched, have, like, the best the best defensive rating by a landslide, and that 
stretch where they started to find their groove and um, get going, ironically, without John Morant, and then just just starting a just a domino effect of just shit takes, to be honest. But um, well, I will say, I will say, I'll say ahead. part of it was um, their opponents did have pretty poor three point shooting when Morant was out, so that that's and, most of the reason why yeah. Morant like there. It looks like Morant had the Patrick Ewing effect or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the Ewing. Yeah, Ewing I will theory. say that was a big bulk of that was also during the replacement era time in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So like it was oh, just yeah. kind of like okay, the Grizzlies are winning games well granted they did play awesome basketball but they're getting covid luck right now they didn't get their covid hit until jog got back so um but one thing i will say that's quasi encouraging when it comes to you know the defense with Destin bain being out is granted it was such a small sample because Ja and dylan both missed extended time and it almost staggered each other to where they didn't really share the floor a lot but in 66 possessions last year the minutes with just Ja, Dylan, and Jaron, no Bane. It had a plus 36 net rating and a defensive rating of 80. So, granted, will it hold that way with a larger sample? I don't know, but it just shows really it's more about you have a good defensive baseline when you have a perimeter defender like Dylan Brooks and an interior defender like Jaron Jackson Jr. So, that that's kind of how I see it. it. And like you said, it's I think defense is going to play a very large part. It's not going to be one of those things where it's like Jaron Jackson Jr. gets hot, Dylan Brooks turns into Jimmy Butler for a couple of weeks, or uh, Jake Laravia, David Roddy catch fire from three. It, a lot of the aggregate will be coming defensively, especially since they've started slow defensively this year. I want to say they're outside the – I think they're 19th team. right now. They're 19th? They got in the top Yeah, 20? they improved a little bit okay. yesterday. There we go. Small growth. Yeah, but it was bad for a little bit, but – I think a big part of it will be uh, defensively. So, Matt, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's always great talking hoops with you. But uh, do you have anything to add before you close? Anything you want to plug in? Any good stuff you got cooking up? Um, the one thing I want to add, I want, I want, I really want to catch a, a Grizzlies game in 2023. Just putting that, um in the airwaves. I want to, I want to be in person for a, a Grizzlies game in 2023. And then uh, for plugs, you can follow me at Twitter at Mattisa 15. That's at M A T I S S A 15. Uh, you know, you can find all my work there. I always tweet out whatever I write. So you don't have to, you know, keep up with the various websites and whatnot, but uh, this was a lot of fun Parker and I'm excited to, to enjoy this team for the rest of the season. Absolutely. Aren't we all, we just want a healthy starting lineup just once. Just once, give us like a couple months with a healthy starting lineup so we can see what kind of damage they can impose. But Matt, I really appreciate you coming on. Make sure y'all follow him on Twitter at MattIsa15. He really, one of the best basketball minds we have out there. So make sure you give him a follow, read all of his work at all his many bylines, including SB Nation. You can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow the blog on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. Make sure you check out all of our great work over at grizzlybearblues.com and over at the podcast network, wherever you get your podcasts. So make sure you write, subscribe, or us five-star review, everything. We want to hear it all. We want all the feedback. We'd really appreciate it. And we really appreciate you tuning into this episode of GBB Live. And with that, we will see you next week. Damn, Flam Dog. Damn.